today on the Tearsheet Podcast. A lot of the, the companies that we're working with, they're really targeting a, a demographic that is not investing today or, or underinvested today. So very similar to this concept of, of, of accessing the unbanked individuals of the world, right? I think in, to some extent, we're accessing a lot of the uninvested population of the world. And so I think what, what can sometimes be challenging is that both DriveWealth and our partners, we're trying to figure out what are the investment products that our customers need before they necessarily ask for, you know, this is what we're, we're looking to do with mm. our money. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. The rebundling continues. Many popular fintechs began their life cycles doing one thing very well, and over time have added in more products and services. For online banks, many have added or are planning to add investment offerings. When firms like Revolut and MoneyLion add in investing, they did it by partnering with DriveWealth, which provides investment infrastructure as a service. DriveWealth's John Shamus, the firm's chief product officer, joins me on the podcast today to talk about what's driving the business and how the move to zero commissions is changing what challenger banks are looking for from an investment product. We talk about how DriveWealth has integrated spending off a debit card to the rest of its product suite, as well as what's in the pipeline for 2020. John Shamus is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. So my name is John Shamus, and I'm the Chief Product Officer of DriveWealth. Uh, I've been part of the team now for over four years. Um, funny enough, my background actually has nothing to do with finance. My background is actually in product design and software development. Um, and so before DriveWealth, I worked in a number of different industries, mostly very early stage startups. Um, but when I joined, it was a really interesting uh, coincidence of events um, where I had just actually seen uh, Robinhood win a design award at uh, the, the yearly Apple develop, developer conference. And, you know, part of what made that so interesting to me was I had just personally tried to open a brokerage account at, you know, a very big, very traditional broker dealer and basically spent a half hour online before hitting this brick wall of you need to now print out this form, fill it out, bring it to our branch, and then we'll get your account approved. And so, you know, I was really, really interested in sort of this huge disparity between the products that investors and customers are really demanding. And then what, you know, they were actually, uh, what the standard actually was for investing applications. Um, so was really just excited about joining the team and getting involved in, you know, how do we change the way that people think about investing and also changing the way that people think about their money overall. And John, do you think the background, the non-traditional background, meaning, you know, you didn't have financial experience, did that help or hinder you, I guess, in, in chief product role? You know, it's interesting. I, th I think our company as a whole has a really good mixture of uh, staff that has come from that background and come from a very pointed brokerage background. And also a lot of people that very much similar to me don't have a brokerage or, or financial background. And so I, I think that the way that we general, generally like to look at our technology and our philosophy as a whole is what are the things that our partners want to put in front of their customer, right? We start with what is the actual experience that we need to power and sort of backtrack away from that and think through what does the technology need to look like in order to actually power that. Uh, and so overall, I, I think that mixture of background is what really makes our, our technology so versatile and has allowed our partners to build some you know, really diverse, really innovative and interesting investing capabilities. So, so what's the elevator pitch on DriveWealth? Can you explain it um, in a few words? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we are a, a API-based broker. And so we provide a technology platform for financial companies all around the world who want to offer investing capabilities uh, to do so in a really effective and, and, uh, and competitive way. And so they get full control over what that customer experience feels like, the types of investment offerings that they offer to their customers, uh, and ultimately just have to integrate with our very straightforward and very modern API stack in order to do that. So you guys are kind of right in the middle of a, a few trends. Um, you know, can, can you talk about what you view as, as drivers of, of growth in your business? Sure, sure. So there's a number of things. And one of the things that, uh, that I'm most interested and in, most focused on um, is this transformation of how a lot of customers are thinking about how they should go ahead and, and invest. Um, if you think about the workflow of investing over the last, you know, let's say 30 years or so, largely that workflow has really stayed exactly the same, right? It's still, if I want to go and buy stock, for example, I have to uh, open an account, which includes filling out a tremendous amount of personal detail, uh, wait for that account to get approved, move money from my bank, you know, wait for that money to move from my bank to the brokerage account, type in a ticker, type in a number of shares, hope the math works out and I have enough money to buy, right? That workflow has generally been identical. The delivery has changed, right? Instead of calling a broker and saying, hey, buy this stock for me, now I can open up this app and do it with a few taps, which is phenomenal. But the workflow has pretty much been exactly identical. Um, part of that we really feel has been the technology burden that these companies who want to take on investing and, and want to innovate have to undergo um, just to get their product up to sort of today's standards and then iterate on top of that formula. Um, but our, our job is really to focus on that core so that if you're thinking about entering the investing space, either building out a product for the first time or adding investing capabilities to your product, you can focus on what would make investing really compelling to your end customer. So instead of expecting somebody to wake up and say, hey, you know what, I want to buy XYZ stock today. Instead, you can think about, you know, more interesting experiences like, for example, you know, hey, we just noticed that you spent $1,000 on a new iPhone on your card, right? Do you want to take a portion of that and buy Apple stock or invest it? Um, or, hey, you know, you have a $300 budget for coffee this month. You spent $200. Take that extra $100 and invest it in Starbucks or Dunkin' or both or just an ETF, right, to take advantage of that extra money you have left over. Um, so that's really what our partners are focused on is changing that dynamic of what it takes for somebody to enter an investment and think about their money. And we're focused on everything beneath that, right? That actually powers all of those experiences. Interesting. And, and um, obviously you guys have to deal with this sort of convergence, I guess, to more automated investment modalities, like maybe away from brokerage and more towards, as you're describing, more proactive type investing. Where do you guys see sort of that playing out between robo-investing versus sort of manual brokerage type business? I guess how that relates into your partner business. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a really good question for us as well. Um, there certainly is sort of this, this bifurcation uh, of, of, of investing experiences, a lot of which are much more you know, traditional and self-directed and a lot of which are following this very automated and, and uh, algorithmically driven trend. Um, so we have a number of partners that, that really 
power both or one or the other. And so, for example, um, you know, what we recently launched with Revolut was a, a more self-directed uh, people from all over the world can invest in a number of different uh, securities that they might be interested in, in, in purchasing, brands that they really love and care about. And then we also have partners like Moneyline, for example, who uh, their, their main investing product today is, is more automated, right? Moneyline tells you what to invest in. They make uh, advice and they automate the, uh, the, the, the management of, of your assets. Um, so I think from our perspective, you know, just to some extent, we're a little bit agnostic to that, and we really want to to power both of those. Um, I think what's what's really important about either of those types of experiences is really making it possible for the demographic that that you as that that uh, experience owner is accessing um, to really be applicable to to their investment goals. So, some of our partners, for example, their end customers are very nascent investors. They've maybe never invested before at all. Um, they have less assets to, to, to use right away. And so for them, maybe the, the ultimate product for them is, is having something where um, an investment advisor can manage their, their funds over you know, the, the next few years while they start building up their, their asset base. Um, for, for a lot of our other partners, like Revolut, for example, you know, their customers may not have access to the U.S. market or the access that they may have to buy, you know, really interesting stocks that they love, like Google and Facebook and Amazon, right? It might be really expensive. And so what we can really help them access is uh, the, the U.S. market and the brands that trade here, but doing so from a very, very cost-effective experience. And and how does Drive Wealth and and your partners? I guess it, it, you have to talk about both, you know, in tandem. But you know, how how are you guys addressing the move towards zero commission? As we've seen many of the big brokers sort of move in that direction. Yeah, sure. And that that's obviously a, a very very clear trend as that's been unrolling uh, over the last few months. Um, what I think has been made really clear is that there's really not a battle to be won anymore over just price, mm-hmm. right? And so for a while there was this this contentious battle over, oh, I'm going to $10 a trade, I'm going to seven, I'm going to four, right? All the way down now, obviously, to zero. And so what's very clear now is that if you're going to offer an investing experience and you want to attract customers, it can't just be that price is your main selling point. There has to be a really incredible and seamless experience all behind that. And so what's also actually really interesting um, that, that I think pairs really well with that trend uh, is the fact that investing is becoming something that is sort of just expected from the financial brand that you interact with. So rather than in the past, you having, you know, this is the brand that I interact with for banking, this is the brand that I interact with for investing, this is the brand for a loan, right? That's really all converging together. And so where DriveWealth fits in both of those trends is that we're helping these financial brands who they have really successful financial products today and they want to expand into investing. And they know that from a price point, it needs to be competitive, right? They need to be able to offer probably zero fee commission if they need to. But it also has to be a really compelling product at the same point. Um, So as their customers come to expect investing from them, uh, or their customers just as a whole get more and more sophisticated, they have more assets to access, they have more needs in the investing space, they can go right to the exact same financial brand and have something that is a really competitive offering from the exact same company. I think you explained that really well. Um, and so, so we have this, you know, sort of expectation from brands um, and from products to be rebundled now within financial services. Um, one of the things I think that's interesting, I'd like to hear your perspective on is 
um, how the debit card plays a role in that um, because, you know, as we've seen, at least in, in the banking sector, debit cards obviously are a key monetization engine, but um, they're part and parcel of, of the product of the banking experience mm-hmm. now. How, we, how are you guys thinking about the debit card in relationship to investing? For a number of our partners, I, I think that the debit card is a, or, or any sort of spending activity is a really interesting way to encourage thinking about investing without, again, sort of having to just, you know, wake up and say, I want to invest today, right? So analyzing, for example, how somebody spends um, can really give you a lot of insights as to what industries they might be interested in, what companies they might be interested in. And what's really phenomenal about sort of the, the merger of, you know, a company offering uh, debit cards, but also now offering investing and in, in other financial services as well, is that they have all the technology under the same roof to, to do any of the automation to make that process really, really seamless. Um, so we're starting to see a lot more of these products where maybe every single time you go to a coffee shop and, and buy a latte, you literally get stock in that same coffee shop, right? And so there's just a, a tremendous amount of really neat automation that can take place there um, when you're accessing it from, from one brand, right? What's also really interesting about the rebundling concept, which I know you, you've talked with a few of your guests on, on your podcast, um, is that we actually, we were sort of there already with these traditional in, incumbent firms, right? For decades now, I've been able to go to the exact same bank and say, hey, I have a bank account with you, and now I want to have a mortgage and a loan and an investment account and get it all from the same bank, right? Right. Rebundling only makes sense in the context that we had an unbundling at a certain point. Yes, but you're 100% right. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what these younger fintechs are really succeeding on is they're, they're succeeding on customer experience, they're succeeding in product innovation and customer servicing, and most importantly, customer trust. Right. And so it's, it's been proven that it's, it's actually fairly easy for those young fintechs to say, you know what, you trust us for product number one, you should also now trust us for product number two, and we'll help you grow with your financial goals as you grow in your financial life and help service more and more of your financial needs. And, and what part, um, and I don't, I don't want to misspeak, but I remember when Drive Wealth launched years ago, one, one of the value propositions that you guys had was, was I guess, providing access to U.S. trading markets on a global basis. Is, is that still something that um, is part of the repertoire? It, it definitely is. Um, so, you know, well, how really, important is, is going global, I guess, as, as, a, as an ancillary question to that? Sure, sure. Um, I think really deeply rooted in our DNA has always been, you know, really this fundamental concept of accessibility. And so in the very early stages of our company, um, we looked at accessibility in probably its most literal definition, which is just, there's a tremendous amount of people all around the world that have either no way or no way that they know of to invest. Um, And so a lot of that segment as well, um, they also don't have the ability to invest in the U.S. market where there's a tremendous amount of security and liquidity and brands that are really prominent and do so in a way that is cost effective to them. Um, and so very you know, early in, in, in uh, our company roadmap, um, we wanted to solve that primarily by making B2B infrastructure, right? And so we could work with partners that were all around the world who had access to these customers in different demographics um, and present to them a way that uh, is, is maybe an, an investing journey that they have never had access to before. Um, 
Now that meaning of accessibility, that's grown really quickly as the company has grown. So beyond just getting investing products in front of customers, that's also grown to include the price, right? It needs to be very, very cost effective. That's grown to include attacking share prices, right? So, you know, we really believe that if you want to buy Amazon, uh, you shouldn't have to have $1,500 a share or whatever it's trading at today. Uh, you should be able to invest in anything you believe in, right? You shouldn't have to settle for something that trades at a lower unit price. Um, so, you know, really that fundamental concept, that's, that's been very prominent in, in I think, the, the company's road mapping and development. Um, but it's definitely grown from just regions and demographics to also, you know, how do we just make investing more approachable as a whole? So John, as, as a B2B2C company, and you, you sort of addressed this, at least answered this in, in, in the context of some of the other answers you gave, but I wanted to just ask this specifically. What, are the, what, what do you feel um, are the biggest um, on the demand side from your clients and from their end clients for investing services right now? Like what, like what are like sort of the must-haves, the table stakes that they're asking for? You know, I think interestingly, a lot of the, the companies that we're working with, they're really targeting a, a demographic that is not investing today or, or under-invested today. So very similar to this concept of, of, of accessing the unbanked individuals of the world, right? I think in, to some extent, we're accessing a lot of the uninvested population of the world. And so I think what, what can sometimes be challenging is that both DriveWealth and our partners, we're trying to figure out what are the investment products that our customers need before they necessarily ask for, you know, this is what we're, we're looking to do with mm. our money. Um, and so part of the ways that I think we do that is by looking at some of the other uh, experiences that customers are interacting with and trying to mimic those in the investing space. Um, so for example, e-commerce, for example, has been huge for many, many years now. And, and I have a number of different companies that I can pull up on my phone right now and buy pretty much anything I want and have it at my house tomorrow. There's a very, very clear UI workflow for uh, adding something to my shopping cart, um, setting my shipping address and my payment method and hitting complete and being done with that transaction. If we can make investing very similar to that, right? Which many of our partners do. They actually have a shopping cart, right? Where you can say, I like this company, add it to my cart. I like this company, add it to my cart. And then I'm going to take, let's say $20 and I'm going to buy both of those companies and be done. I think that's a, a much more approachable uh, and, and easily accessible way to start investing um, for a customer that, again, maybe has no experience investing at all. Um, because they're, they're used to that style of, of experience, that customer experience from, you know, other, uh, other products like e-commerce, mm -hmm. it is just tremendously easier um, to encourage that individual to, to establish those financial habits earlier. And I guess in a way, like, I, you know, in the early days of, of online investing, you know, you had your transactional components and then you had the educational components and they were separate. Um, it, it almost sounds like as you, if, if you're rethinking the UI and, and making it very similar to UI and UX that, customers are comfortable with in other realms like education kind of comes along the way as 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 they're transacting does that sound right I, you know i think it's actually sort of part of the responsibility of of offering an investing product to 
to, to some degree nudge customers to invest appropriately and, and make good financial choices. And you know, one of the, the, the ways that that's becoming easier is this concept of fractional shares, right? Mm-hmm. So now that a customer can say every single week, I'm going to take this piece of, of, of my capital and invest it into this stock, regardless of what stock it is or what share price it is, you know, that really promotes behind the scenes uh, dollar cost averaging. Right. And so that's normally a topic that, yes, you're right. You would have to have a totally separate education piece on what is dollar cost averaging and how should you do that? And, you know, what do you do if you maybe don't have enough money to, you know, really properly diversify that every single time you want to invest? Now you're almost sort of naturally encouraging those behaviors just based on the, the UI UX that you're putting in front of that customer. So, John, we're getting to the end of the conversation. Um, this has been fascinating. I'm, I'm curious um, if you can share with us and, and with the listeners um, anything about your, your thoughts about 2020 in terms of product pipeline. Like, what you know, are there things that uh, you can share publicly about what you guys are working on, what we should expect to see from Drive Wealth in the next year? Like, what are your biggest focuses? Gotcha, right? <laughs> For us, our, our biggest focus is, is, is really thinking through what more can we do to promote good financial behavior and give our partners the ability to offer a really, really more diverse set of financial products. And so that may include things like more assets, uh, you know, more availability of, of, of different types of investments that customers can make. Um, but there's certainly a tremendous amount of things in our pipeline that we'd really like to give our, our partners uh, the ability to uh, to offer to to their to their customers. Um, you know, we we always like to say that you know the the product that we're offering is not stocks, it's not ETFs, right? The product is an investing experience, and our partners and their customers they want to invest, and so the actual securities is almost a, a byproduct of of how you invest, right? And so we're really focused on how can we make. Uh, the the experience as as good as possible and provide as much diversity as as we can in in, in what partners can power. John, thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Thank you very much, Zach. Thanks for having me.